It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, the show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Mr. Phil Emery. How are you doing, Phil? From St. John's, Newfoundland, I'm doing just fine, even though we keep on getting more snow. Although now we're getting freezing rain, so, you know, that's kind of a nice change. Nice. Yeah. It's been, uh, what was it today? It was 11 degrees here in Toronto. I know. That's, uh... And sunny. <laughs> Thank you, global warming. Yeah. Okay. Not working, <laughs> um... not working for, out for us at all. No, not at all. Um, and everyone else, uh, please send your comments, questions to uh, at Song Talk Radio on Facebook or Instagram or feedback at songtalk.ca for the email. And we'll share your thoughts on the show. And please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode to find links to resources we'll mention. And uh, you're going to want to do that with tonight's episode. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and tonight, we're very happy to welcome back to the show music expert in just about every single way you can possibly imagine, <laughs> Mr. Alistair Bradley. How are you doing, Alistair? Terrific. I was dying for you to introduce me so I could talk about the weather, too. Oh no! How's how's the weather out there? Oh no! I was I, I was just gonna say, get ready for it, because tomorrow it gets cold again here in Southern right. Ontario. But deep, uh, deep freeze, deep freeze again. And um, just a little bit about Alistair. Alistair Bradley has been writing songs since he was old enough to sing them, and he spent more time learning the craft and nuance of songwriting than you'll ever want, than he'll ever want to admit. Fast forward a few decades, and there's a catalog of his music out in the world, playing into the ears in need of a groove, a story, or a reason to sit back and turn off everything else. He continues to write in the studio and in collaboration with other songwriters on nearly every continent. He's written and recorded for several independent films and hires himself as a session player and vocalist to artists and radio personalities all over the world. He teaches and facilitates workshops at Song Studio, the premier Canadian songwriting education experience uh, that's since 2005. And he mentors young singers in the annual Wellesley Idol Youth Talent Competition and Development Program. Welcome back to Song Talk Radio, Alistair. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great to have you on the show. We're going to be uh, uh, tapping your deep knowledge about the music business tonight. Uh, but before we get to that, um, we just a couple of things. Um, I, I brought this to the attention of, of you guys. Um, if you hadn't uh, heard of it, Billy Joel um, released a new song and video, Turn the Lights Back On. And... Um, I, I must admit, that it is much, is, I'm not a huge Billy Joel fan. I do like him and being a piano player, of course, I like him. <laughs> but um, uh, the video just like blew my mind, the, the way they, they introduced artificial intelligence thing to, to give us younger versions of Billy Joel singing his new song. <laughs> just, just like, boink. <laughs> As I, was, I, 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 mean, I, I, was, I was barely listening to the song when I watched the video. I was like, where are the scenes? Where is this? Is this the body of Billy Joel? Is that the head? Is that what's going on here? I was looking. I was looking for the looking for the stitchings. And the and the way the camera moves, you know, yeah. suddenly before you're seeing uh, his face, you're seeing that his wardrobe has changed. You're seeing. Yes. Oh, now he's no longer in the tweed jacket. He's in the leather jacket. Okay, yeah. I can't wait to see leather jacket era, Billy right. Joel. And there he is. On yeah. The yeah. And his up. hands are aged yeah. too. And his hands. Yeah. His hands. Yeah. 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 What I thought was so interesting, though, is I thought the song sounded very Elton Johnny. Like it didn't sound yeah. all that um, Billy Joel-ish. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I like Billy Joel uh, quite a bit. When this new song came out, I felt like it was it. It sounded 
satisfactorily or, or, or whatever the word I'm looking for is like a Billy Joel classic. Yeah. Yeah. It comes much. across like a Billy Joel classic. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll admit that it was, it was not until you asked about it, Neil, that I actually saw the video. So okay. I, so I'm like, Oh, okay. that's new. And, yeah. and, uh, because I'm a tough critic, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I I did think it was it was pretty cool and it was almost believable. <laughs> almost, <laughs> yeah. The artificial intelligence. Uh, on a similar, you know, uh, vein, I watched the latest Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Raiders. Oh, and, the, uh, the Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones and the Dial uh, Dial of Destiny. Yeah. And I was flabbergasted at how they used the technology to show us a young Indiana Jones. I thought. Oh, when I was, oh, when I was watching it, I thought, oh, my God, did they film this 30 years ago? Right, right. Wow. Because it is absolutely believable. Yeah. And, and it's incredible, the technology. I mean, Harrison Ford, okay, Billy Joel, they, they were in on it. They knew about it. Yeah. Consent, whatever. But, man, what a slippery slope with when you don't have <laughs> the person yeah. say so. It's yeah. going to be it's, yeah. it's a dangerous world we're getting into. Um, but yeah, um, I, I know I know at the end of the day, you're going to completely AI this podcast and you're going to put words in my mouth that I wish I had said. I wish I'd been smart enough to say. <laughs> you want to do it for me so I don't have to show up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just take Thursday nights off. Um, but I, 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 I was curious about about the song. I looked up a couple of articles, and the turn turn the lights back on video was directed um, by Warren Fu and and Freddie Wexler. And Freddie Wexler was also the co-writer and the and the producer on the song. So this is a co-write. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why it sounds a little Elton. Maybe <laughs> um, uh, the clip uses technology from Deep Voodoo, the AI entertainment company founded by South Park co-creators. Trey Parker and Matt Stone. <laughs> so those guys created an AI company. <laughs> they're very talented, and they're um, they that uh, their musical is really good. Book of Mormon. Mm, never seen it's, that. It's a fantastic musical, actually. Really good songs. Okay, so tonight um, we're uh, we're happy to have Alistair here. He's going to be uh, learning us up on song registrations. So as, as songwriters, you know, we, we know that we're entitled to royalties for songwriting, recording, and a bunch of other stuff. And Alistair's here to tell us the, the what, the how, and the why of all that juicy stuff. I have spent countless hours researching this. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I do consult for a few of my clients to help them get registered, to help them, uh, to help them in, in any way I can, in fact. So for some people, I'm, I'm doing the legwork to get their songs released. And, and for other people, I'm making sure that they're registered everywhere and, and, and anywhere. Do you do this for Canadians as well as Americans? or I, I have only done this for Canadians. The production I do for anybody, I'm, I'm working with a guy in Sydney, Australia, and another artist in Calgary at the moment. So we're doing, we're doing remote production. But, uh, but as far as the releases and the registrations, um, I, I, I would need to do more hours of research to be able to help you out in the U.S. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it's a whole different thing down there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're going to stick to Canada. So Let's for our U.S. Canada. listeners... You may glean something from this. <laughs> we can, well, yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, where where possible, we can touch on other uh, on other jurisdictions. Jurisdictions, cool. Okay, so where do we start? SoCan is my guess, but you can well, tell us. <laughs> let's 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 not even jump quite there yet. Okay. 
there's, there's an amazing resource, in fact, on the website of the Copyright Board of Canada. If you go to the Copyright Board of Canada and look under copyright information slash collective societies, it lists all the collective societies uh, applicable to Canadian uh, uh, musicians or filmmakers or actors or, you know, you, you name it. So it's a great place to go and, and look at it from a, you know, the umbrella over all, all the organizations. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll dive in and we'll talk about every one of them. And, and, but just, just to get a bigger, a bigger picture on the whole thing in case people don't know, and I, I would even count myself as, as one of these people because it's like, like, what is exactly a royalty? Like, it's actually a, it, it's a recognition of the value of artistic works. Yes. And, and, and I guess the reason it varies from country to country is because, I mean, does every country in the world do this? I mean, does North Korea, Iran, <laughs> places where music is banned? Most, it, you know, like, like are, are there other places in the world where this doesn't happen at, at all? Because it is very much a... It's very much, I like to think it's like a post-recording, like it's not as old as music, obviously, but it's a thing that, you know, governments came and recognized that we need to do this sort of thing, or, or, or societies of, of, of artists probably more than governments. Yeah. It probably came from the ground up, didn't it? I think, I think some of these dated back as far as, you know, uh, the creation of player piano roles, you know, that, that somebody was due publishing rights on on that copyright um here's the thing is anybody who creates art so musicians filmmakers uh, etc they have the right to exploit their art let's let let's let's be uh, general about it and say you know that they have rights that are granted just from the fact that they created something so you know, we could, as individual songwriters, we could be on the phone saying, you know, I, I, I want to exploit my copyright this way. I want to exploit my copyright this way. I want to, uh, I want to allow you to listen to my song online, and then you pay me one thousandth of a penny. And we could do that all independently, but what we do instead is we allow partners to exploit certain rights to do with our copyright. So we hire SOCAN to take care of certain rights and we allow them to, to issue licenses to use our copyright where it's in their field. But they don't handle all of the rights and they only represent the songwriters and the publishers. They don't represent the musicians. They don't represent the, the master uh, recording owners. So we partner with somebody else and we give them the right to exploit our copyright in their field. So this conversation, you know, requires us to ask ourselves, which hat am I wearing at the moment? What rights do I have as a songwriter? What rights do I have as a publisher? What rights do I have as a performer, as an artist, as, as, the, as the record label? Because if we create our own master recordings, we are a record label. Alistair, if you are if you're just like a, um, a a person like me who just records stuff at home and and puts it out and you know maybe tries to send it out, but I don't you know I don't work with a publisher and I don't work with a label. 
do those things still apply to me, even though I don't maybe have a label or I don't have That's right. if you're, officially if, publishing? If, if, well, if you don't have a record label partner, you are the label. If you don't have a publishing partner, you are the publisher. You're self-published. So, you know, it, it's, it's the same thing when you consider what I sign to a publisher. Well, the act of signing the publishing deal is granting the publisher those rights. They can exploit the copyright on your behalf. They can issue licenses to use the work and collect the royalties due. Yeah, yeah, because mo most people, when they think of DIY musicians, do-it-yourself at home sort of thing, which has been going on a long time now, as we, you know, we were able to record at home and and do all that sort of stuff. They 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 think it's it stops with production, but mm -hmm. what you're mm -hmm. saying is it extends further than that. You become it the label. Extends. You become yeah. you you are the performing musician. You are the the writer, the producer, the master record owner. That's right. All those things. All, all, right. pretty, but pretty much all the hats. If you're an independent songwriter that, that works and records at home, then. Although, although there are some hats that we wouldn't even dream of wearing. We're not going to set up our own internet radio station so that our music can be played to people around the world. We're, we're going to have, we're going to push our music to some streaming service and have them take care of that for us. But, you know, we could. Um, so, so that's how I've sort of laid out, you know, the, uh, the, the thinking on this is, is know which hat you're wearing and and who you want to partner with in order to deal with those rights that you have as, as the copyright owner, but you can allow somebody else who really knows what they're doing and has the connections to exploit your copyright properly. This is completely independent of your right to negotiate, say, a sync license. You know, even if, even if you have uh, registered with SOCAN and registered with all of, all of the groups that will issue licenses on your behalf and collect royalties, you know, airplay royalties, that kind of thing. You're still, uh, for, for most of our listeners, you're still self-published. You're still a publisher. So you can still enter into a deal with, you know, uh, uh, CBS television and, and, you know, get your song placed on the next episode of, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, you know, you're not losing that kind of right, but it, it has to do with all the royalties that are due, according to the Copyright Board of Canada. And, and they have been growing over the decades. There are certain uh, rights and royalties that we didn't have 50 years ago. What is meant by the publishing rights? That's something that's always kind of confused me because you see all these legacy artists that, that sell their catalog to some big company or something like that. And it's, and, but it's not the, it's not the rights to the composition. It's not, it's just the publishing rights. What does that it's mean? It's the publishing rights. So, so in terms of the rights to exploit a song property, uh, in Canada, uh, you know, the, the, the powers that be have gone to great lengths to make sure that writers de facto standard they have their share and they cannot lose their share. They can't have it taken away from them. But if they want to partner with somebody to exploit that copyright, that is the publishing side of it. So in a, in a simple uh, co-publishing deal, you have 
half the publishing and a publishing company has the other half of the publishing, but you, but you're not splitting up the writer's share. You're still as, so you could sell your catalog and you still have that writer's share of royalties due to you as the songwriter. Right. But you're going to lose the distribution. And you could do, you, you could lose the publishing. So, you know, the, the monies that come in for the song are split half to the publishers and half to the writers. So, uh, you know, by all means, if you've got someone who wants to work your catalog, that's a, that's a great option. If you, you want to sign to a publisher, you're not losing your, your writer's share. And, uh, and even if, even if you assign to them the entirety of the publisher's share, at least they're going to work for it and you're going to benefit. So uh, let's talk about, um, knowing what you're registering. I'm still not, I'm not even getting into the organizations yet. Uh, but there are some things that, are, that I think are important to remember. Understand the splits. So I've, I've, I've had to work with clients to try and fix bad registrations because they didn't understand the splits. If the three of us get together, Phil, Neil, you know, the three of us get together and write a song. It's possible that Neil and I, you know, uh, worked together initially and put down the musical track and came up with a melody. And then Phil came in the room and top-lined it, uh, or, or we wrote lyrics together. Those are different parts of the song property. So it's not the case that all three writers listed are necessarily all composers and all lyricists. And, and if, if I had a song uh, and, I, and I desperately needed a second verse. Everything else was ready. I just needed the lyrics for a second verse. And Phil, you helped me write that second verse. I would say, you know what, man, let's keep this simple. Let's, let's share ownership of that part of the copyright. 50-50 on the lyrics. But I'm still 100% on the music. And, and, the, and the powers that be, the, the organizations we register with, they do care about what my share is of the musical part and what my share is of the lyrical part. So, you know, if, if I didn't understand that and I said, thanks Phil for that second verse, it's awesome, I love it. We're gonna register ourselves as 50-50 on the song. Well, then suddenly you're, you're earning 50% of the music as well. Which if that, song really, if that song really blows up, I'm gonna say, wait a minute, did I register that properly? Crap. And, and of course, there were. I mean, and 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 that 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 is an explicit decision that, as as collaborators, you need to make. And 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 I feel you've always mentioned this. Make sure you arrive at that decision before you start writing. Absolutely. <laughs> but but well, there, well, there there are like I, I always cite Sloan, one of my favorite bands. No matter who writes the song, and it's pretty clear when you're a fan of Sloan, which songwriter wrote those songs. They 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 say anyway that they split everything, a quarter 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 quarter. All, between all four members, regardless of who wrote what, regardless of of Patrick, who writes all the hits, he's the one who writes the catchy hits. <laughs> so those are the ones that generate the most money. But they still split everything. Even Stephen wrote the band, and that's the that's the that's the best way to keep your relationship alive, because the minute you start saying, "Well, you know what? I think I think what you did is five percent less than what I did," then. There's no, there's no way that that <laughs> contributes to a, a happy relationship between you and your collaborators. And at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of difference. You know, no, 
between, you know, the, you know, three or four or five different ways you might choose to split it. Um, to, to get, uh, to get honest and maybe ugly, um, songwriters are making probably the least amount of money now out of all the players. When you look at, when you look at sources of revenue, you know, sync licensing aside, when you look at, you know, what songwriters used to make for uh, broadcast of their songs, because everything's changed and everything's streaming now, the lion's share is going to the record label and a tiny piece is going to the songwriters. So it used to be like a generation ago, it was a little bit more balanced. I know it was never well, when, in the favor of the songwriters, but when when all the earnings were coming from terrestrial radio and and satellite radio, non-interactive streaming, you know, is what they call it. Um, those royalties were much higher than what Spotify or Apple Music is obligated to pay for the for the use of the song. So uh, and and you know the whole streaming model was negotiated by the record labels, not the publishers. So it, it works, it works largely in favor of the, uh, of the master owners. So I, I, in, in the category of do not give away your rights, understand the value of keeping your, your share of the master. If, if you, if you work with somebody to create your master recording, um, there's a chance that you're going to be splitting the ownership of that master recording. But generally speaking, if you go into a studio and pay a producer to produce your song, then the, the act of paying them their due, you want to get this in writing, of course. You want to have th this agreement with, between you and your producer, but the fact that you paid them for it, it, it is generally accepted that that's a work for hire and they don't share in the ownership of the master. Right. And you, you could technically work it so that the, I mean, if you agree with the producer, a producer may take part of it as cash and part of it as a small yeah. percentage of what, like you could, you, there, there, there are, there, there's a, there's a middle ground in there somewhere if you wanted to do There's a middle that. ground in there. And, and that absolutely should be negotiated up front when you engage somebody. When you say master recording, so are we talking like the final mix down? We're talking about uh, uh, an audio recording that is ready to be released. The one that ends up on Spotify, on Apple, on th that copy. So, so th there are, when, when you hear a song broadcast anywhere, it represents two different properties. One of them is the song itself, the intellectual property that the songwriters came up with. And the other is the master recording. And that's what the artist is presenting. And... You know, some songs are recorded by 10, 15, 20 different artists. They're still the same song property, but they're all separate master recording properties. So here's, here's you know, it happens far too often that a songwriter works with a producer to, to produce or, or a songwriting artist works with a producer to create something for release. And the producer says, uh, I, I want to share the songwriting. And he, uh, sometimes they, they manage to get it. But unless the producer is actually working on the songwriting, they had no business creating the song. And if I went to another producer next week and made a completely different recording, why should the first producer 
who now has a cut of the songwriting, earn on the other production. If the producer wants a cut of anything, it should be a cut of the master recording. So, uh, so in, in, the, in the category of do not give away your rights, if someone is asking for, for percentage points, make sure it makes sense. If they're contributing to the songwriting, then they should share in the songwriting ownership. If they're contributing to the production, then they can have a share of the master recording. Even if it's one line of lyric? Even if it's one line of lyric. Here's, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's so hard to measure how much, how much better the song became when that line of lyric yeah. was changed. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to quantify that. Very hard to quantify. And, and it just may not be worthwhile trying to quantify it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nowadays it's, it's so common to see a song hit the charts with 12 writers on it. And, and some people misinterpret what's going on there. Uh, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, the beat maker is important. The beat maker always deserves a share of the songwriting. The sound designer, you know, the guy that came up with those cool, unique synth sounds deserves a share of the songwriting because that's what I see happening on this 12-person writing credit sheet. I, I, I watched a, a new video by um, YouTuber David Bennett yesterday. He was talking about interpolation, where it's not the difference between interpolation and sampling. Sampling is you actually take the literal recording and put it in your song, and then you pay a, a royalty to the original recording artist. Um, interpolation means you just grab the melody and you re-record it, or the chord progression and you re-record it, or the, the melodic right. riff or whatever. Right. And then and then most most often, to avoid any legal shenanigans, they just list the original songwriters. If it was 40 years ago or whatever. And and so that, that list of songwriters then gets longer. <laughs> it's just yeah, list yeah. everyone who wrote it back in the day. <laughs> well, so, but, but here's the thing is not all songs are created equally and not all songs are, are, not all song productions are created equally. It's one thing for the three of us to write a song together and then hire a production team to come up with the beats and the sound design and uh, and the the arrangements and all that. But if if the three of us had come up with the melody and lyrics and and the song before approaching any of those people, they they did nothing to inspire the songwriting. Whereas in a big music town like Los Angeles, these tracks are being written before there's a melody and lyric. A top liner is being brought into the studio. A top liner and, and a lyricist, they're working together on, a, on what sounds like a finished track. And they're coming up with a cool melody and cool lyrics to go with that track. They are absolutely motivated and inspired by what they're hearing, the contributions of the beat maker and the sound designer and the arranger. So in, in, in that situation, I would say that those, those contributors participated in the songwriting. They inspired the songwriting. They were, I'm doing air quotes, you know, for the sake of our podcast listeners, they were in the room. They, they had an impact on the songwriting. That's not the case if the three of us wrote a song together and then hired a production team to make the production. They didn't have an impact on the songwriting. So whether they share in, in you know, some percentage points on the master recording, maybe, maybe that's realistic, maybe that's reasonable but I wouldn't suggest that they shouldn't be listed as songwriters. We, we got into a discussion with Blair 
Packham about this a while back, a few, several years ago. I think it was when we were doing the show live on the radio. And I, I was talking about collaborations I've been involved in where I come up with a little chord progression on the piano, a little melodic thing, and then someone else sings, top lines it, lyric and melody. So I had nothing to do with the lyric and melody technically, but his contention was that the lyric and the melody is the song because you can reharmonize that into a different instrumental part and still the same song. I mean, jazz musicians do this all, all the time. They'll take, you know, a popular song and and change the, the underlying stuff on it. So, where, you know, it's, it's a question of where, where do you draw that line of what's, what's, what's songwriting and what's, you know, a 1645 is, you know, big deal, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and other other songwriters may not agree with the way I'm I'm laying this out, but I don't want to be unfair to any of my collaborators, and I want to show the value of my collaborators. So, if in any way I think they may have done something that caused me to write a song I wouldn't have written without them, then then they're in the room. They 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 contributed. They're part of it. So what about what about performance royalties? This is something that like I was knew about songwriting royalties, fine, okay. But then something I learned about more recently, especially when you're in a band and you're playing live, because um, there's a whole other. I mean, we haven't even talked. We haven't even talked about the, the songwriting um, uh, organization yet. But <laughs> but as far as another another recognition of the value is if you perform a song, which as I understand it. A, a, a play on the radio or a play on Spotify is a performance in the same way as you playing in playing it live in a bar counts as a performance, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, they are. They are public performances of the song, whether whether they're by the person who wrote the song or somebody covering your song. They are public performances of the song and they they should ideally find their way to uh, a, a list of, well, these are the songs that were performed today and, and are due royalties. And then they would be reported from whatever jurisdiction. If that happened in England, then, you know, money would be collected in England and uh, shared with the Canadian organization that's going to get it to, to you for your song. So now I, it's not the case that every time you perform your song, live it's worth a, a royalty um there are some requirements it it needs to be for a paying audience and it needs and, and it needs to be at a venue where the promoter of the show which could be you or it could be someone who books the shows or or if it's a great big venue it could be you know a promotions team that they actually put money up to license the music that's being performed at the show, and that money goes to, to paying the songwriters whose songs were performed at the show. So, so if so, if you put on a show, you know, you put a band together and you go and you know tour the country playing your songs, you may actually have to submit whatever it would be for the size of your venue. You may have to pay 50 bucks or 100 bucks to SoCan to license the music that's being performed at the show so that you can then turn around and claim <laughs> your payment back for, this, for the uh, royalties that you're due. And, 
and 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 it has to be a paying crowd. They have to they have to pay at least I think six or seven bucks a ticket, and it has to be a, has to be promoted. So a large venue like um, Lee's Palace in Toronto or the Opera House in Toronto, they would they would have already paid SoCan like a blanket. They right? would have negotiated a massive annual license uh, with with SoCan. So this is so this is songwriters and publishers. So we're talking about the song property. So you put it on your hat as a songwriter and saying, where should I be registering? myself as a songwriter and most likely for all of us listening as a self-publisher and in canada it's so can you're going to go to a uh, society of composer composers authors and oh i forget what the n stands for but it's so can uh, and they're in the business of licensing public performance of songs so again, the money comes from the venues. The venue pays for the right for these songs to be performed to a paying audience. And then SoCan turns that into royalties going to the songwriters. So, you know, anybody... Yes. Yeah. So, so yes, in, in, the, uh, in the case of a live performance, it's, it's the venue. That's where the money comes from to pay for the live performances. And you as an artist, if you're selling tickets to the audience and it's and it's above the threshold, which I, I'd have to check on the SoCan website, but I think it's something as low as six or seven or ten dollars. Um, then you want to be reporting. This is the entire set list from the night. I did a bunch of covers. So guess what? Elton John's gonna get paid because I always do an Elton John song. Uh, and in the case of a streaming service, yes, they are obliged for every song play to pay a royalty to SoCan. Now that's it's on. It's on. It's a way different scale. It's way less money, um, because the the royalties were, you know, the the bodies that came up with royalties, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, or or maybe not quite a hundred years ago, but they were dealing with a different model. They were dealing with non-interactive. They were dealing with well, okay, when this song plays on radio, it's going to a hundred thousand years which for those of you doing the math, is probably 50,000 people. That's two years each, because we, <laughs> we had stereo, at least in the 70s. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for mono, it was a whole different thing. <laughs> so if you, know, so if, if you one play on a major radio station in a, a city like Toronto, could get you 25 bucks for one spin of your song, then when they came up with royalty rates for streaming, well, you're only streaming to one person. So it's a tiny fraction of what they would have previously said. This, you know, we're we're streaming to 100,000 people. So um, yeah, so all of those streaming streaming radio, uh, it's it's not regulated yet for internet radio, um, but satellite radio has to pay for it. Terrestrial radio has to pay for it, and so can collects for all of these. They do the data sampling and they and they figure out who's been played and how many times they've been played and and to what size audience, and uh, they take their administration fee and and they send the rest to to the songwriters that are that are members of SoCan, or if it's a U.S. writer or a British writer, they send it to that organization to send to to, to the songwriter. That's for performance royalties. 
it's not covering the other royalty due to songwriters and publishers, which is the mechanical royalty, the reproduction rights. So anytime your song is fixated in another copy, in the old days, this was really easy to, to visualize. It was every time I stamped another record, that was another mechanical instantiation of your song. So the songwriter gets paid for every one of those. And, you know, it used to be something like five cents per song per record stamped. So, you know, if, if you got even a deep, deep cut on a Celine Dion record, oh, cha-ching, because you'd get five cents for every one of those albums stamped. Um, it's, it's still a mechanical royalty um, when it comes to streaming. And, but it's, again, it's nothing like the same size of royalty. Uh, and, and there are, there are similarly, there are these things called reproduction rights, which, I mean, heck, if, if Spotify is going to stream your song, they've got to make a local copy of it. They have to pay to make that instance. So every place, if a radio station is going to add your song to rotation, they have to make a copy of it on their hard drive. They pay for that. All of that is handled by a different organization. It's CIMRA. It's C-M-R-R-A, the um, Canadian Mechanical Reproductive Rights Association. And SOCAN has started to get into this as well. So here's Here's, here's the first case where you might be asking yourself, well, who do I choose? Do I, sign, do I assign this right of mine to Simra so that they can issue licenses and collect my royalties, or do I assign it to SOCAN? Um, in any case where you have a choice to make, and there are a few, I recommend you reach out to somebody at each organization and say, tell me, tell me why you're the best at doing this. Um, when SOCAN started doing reproduction rights, um, I reached out to SOCAN to say, hey, you know, I've, I've traditionally been with Simra, uh, but tell me what's great about what you're doing. And since they didn't even get back to me, um, they made my choice pretty easy. <laughs> Hopefully they're getting back to writers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the face of it, you think a one-stop shop would be great. Just submit your stuff once and everything's taken care of. Yes. Um, I'm not even certain that at SOCAN it's a one-stop shop because it is kind of carved into two different places where you can sign oh. up. So Fine. you may, you may in fact have to register your song once on the performance royalty side and again on the mechanical royalty side. I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. When you go, when, when you've finished writing your song and you've agreed on the splits, um, I know Neil, you, you said, you know, agree on the splits up front. But oftentimes, it's only after you've written the song that you say, wait a minute, yeah. you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, you made more of a contribution than, than, we, than we expected. I mean, uh, Neil, you surprised me. You were really in the groove that day. Uh, so maybe at the end of it, but you have to agree. You have to have that conversation and agree. And if, if you think that there's a reason that somebody should have a higher or lower share, make sure that there's a good reason. Make sure that, that it's not you're not asking for too much or giving away too much and uh, and that you're just you're honoring the relationship because you want to work together again so equal splits they're easiest um when you go to socan site and uh and and by the way i don't think any of the organizations we're going to mention none of them cost to be a member 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. They all, they get paid as a percentage of the royalties that come in. So you, it's free to join SoCan. And then when the time is right and you finish writing your song, you log it in your catalog. You add it to your catalog and SoCan. You list all the contributors and you mark them either as composers or authors or both. Um, if somebody has a publishing deal, well, then their share of the publishing goes to their publisher. Uh, they're not acting as uh, self-published, but, you know, uh, most cases, again, for our listening audience, it's probably going to be that you're self-publishing. And SoCan makes that really simple. If there's not a publisher, don't even list a publisher and everything is just assumed that you're, that you're self-publishing. But make sure the information is accurate the first time out. And there are some, there are some ID numbers for your collaborators that you want to get right so that you know, they're they're properly being identified as collaborators on the song. Yeah, because that's the other thing. If you're if you're any kind of collaboration, band or not band, whatever, only one of the collaborators needs to enter all the information for everybody else as well that's as right. themselves. Correct. If everyone that's goes right. and enters it, then that's not good. <laughs> that's right. It it should live it should live in the system once. Now, Simra, on the other hand. When, when I engage with Simra, it's in my role as a publisher. They actually don't deal directly with writers. They deal with publishers. But I'm a publisher of my songs, so I am a member of Simra. And I, and I, uh, I log my catalog with Simra. The way Simra likes to do it is they only want me to give the information from my piece of the pie. They don't require everything to add up to 100%, which is really quite handy because sometimes I just don't have the other publisher's, publisher's information. Um, but it's the same kind of deal. You want to make sure that that you carefully register your songs and you understand what they're asking for because they're all a little bit different. But that's let's 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 leave that at as as it is. That's songwriting and publishing. It's it's SoCan or it's Simra in Canada. Um, you you may have heard if if you're reading you know an old book that was written in the U.S. You may have heard Harry Fox Agency. That's the American equivalent of Simra. They issue mechanical licenses. Um, so really, in essence, if I wanted to make an album of covers, I would have to negotiate the mechanical licenses so that uh, for every copy of the CD that I'm creating, I'm paying to make that instance. It's really handy for me to go to one place I go to Simra, I go to Harry Fox, wherever, for my jurisdiction, and I fill out the form and I say, these are all the songs, they're all represented in your catalog, I'm going to pay you a nickel for every CD that I, that I stamp. Um, you don't have to do that for streaming, they take care of it for you. If I register my songs with SoCan and Simra, do they also handle the um, rights for the U.S. as well? They they collect from the U.S. agency. So I don't have to sign up with the U.S. Nope. You don't have. Yeah, you don't want to sign up with an agency in a different territory. Um, SoCan asks you to choose who you would like to be represented with in the states, because because in the U.S. writers can choose to be represented with ASCAP or BMI. And if you're, of course, if you're collaborating with someone remotely, or you went down to Nashville and co-wrote a song with somebody an American, then you, I guess you could do either. But you should only do one, one or the other, yeah? 
Well, in that case, I'd and I would double check with the rights organization. It's possible that you want to make sure that it's registered on both systems. But certainly you don't want to have each of us registering the same song on SOCAN's site. But I would I would wager that if you worked with an American, you'd want to have it registered on their PRO's site, Performing Rights Organization, as well as our Canadian PRO. So then let's put on a different hat. So you're an artist, you've written the song, and then you go to the studio and you make a really kick-ass version of it, and you're ready to release it. You are now a record label. You, you own a product, you own a master recording that can be exploited for a different set of royalties. And so it's a different organization you're going to partner with <laughs> to represent you as a master, as a master record owner. Um, in Canada, uh, ReSound is an umbrella organization that it's a little confusing. You could sign up directly with ReSound to represent you, or you could sign up with their member agency, Connect Music Licensing. And I, I, I don't fully understand why they have the ability for you to sign up with two organizations in the same family for the same right, but you have to choose. And if you're in Quebec, you sign up with Soprock. I love the sound of that. It's a Q at the end, but uh, still, sounds like, <laughs> still sounds like rock. Yeah. Um, and they collect an additional set of royalties that are due to the master owner. Now, here's the thing. Again, you're, when you're a record label and you own this master recording, even if you're an artist that's covering someone else's song, you own that master recording. You don't own the song, but you own the master recording. So you can release it and get it on Spotify and get it on Apple Music and get it everywhere and, and maybe sell CDs. I say maybe. Um, it's really, really valuable to retain as much as possible the share that you own of your master recording. Don't give it up. Because when a streaming service like Spotify pays to use your music, that one one thousandth of a penny, that adds up when you get, when suddenly you've got 50,000 monthly listeners and, and your song has gone to a million listens, you're going to get money. And that money is paid out to whoever owns the master, not to the songwriter. And, and not to the artist, if that artist isn't the record label. It gets paid to the record label. So, you know, if you have a, if you have a record deal with a label, they're getting paid, and then they're going to give you a portion of that according to whatever contract you signed with them. But this is, this is, this is the most lucrative way for an indie artist to make their money on streaming is by owning the masters. So again, if someone says they want to share of your master, think long and hard about, about what you're sharing. And, and again, if you go into a studio and hire a producer for hire, pay them cash to produce your record, you are the, the master record owner. Yeah. It's, I mean, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put it past some producers at the end of the day to say, well, you know, wait a minute. No, we're sharing in this. And and I, I have known, I have clients who we've tried to resolve disputes with their producers because their producer wouldn't release the master recording until they agreed to give up half the share of the recording. You don't want to be in that situation. So, so ask up front when you get a quote from your producer. 
say, how much is it going to cost me to produce this? And if they say, it's going to cost you $2,500 per song, or it'll cost you $1,500 and half of the master recording, maybe you want to go with $1,500 and half of the master recording, if, if that's better for your budget. And I mean, heck, if they're, if they're offering that, then they might have some real faith in your song making money too. Yeah, that's the other thing, yeah. <laughs> so there, so as a master, uh, as a master owner, you're going to be becoming a member of either Connect Music Licensing or, or their parent company, ReSound, or in Quebec, Soprock, and you're going to be registering yourself as the record label, as the owner of the master. So I'm hoping that if you're in the studio making a kick-ass record, you're also performing on it. You don't have to. Um, but any audible contribution to a sound recording. So in fact, if you get your friends to, to send you voice notes of them pretending to call your, your answering machine, and those voice notes end up as part of your mix, they're performers on your song. And they have a right to sign up with a, with a, a rights organization to collect their share as a performer. There are feature performers. So yeah, the lion's share, you know, 80% of anything that's earned for performers goes to the feature performers. That's either, you know, the artist named or the one that's featuring, you know, featuring mm -hmm. little dog, <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever. Uh, anybody else, whether they're, you know, playing a conga or a guitar or piano or singing backups, they're, uh, they're considered non-feature performers, but they do a share of 20% of, of the royalties that come to performers. This is new. This, this only came about in 1997. Uh, it's, it's what they call neighboring rights because there, there are rights that are beside those of the songwriter. <laughs> they're neighbors to the rights of the songwriter. So somebody came up with that neighboring rights term and then, you know, the Canadian government decided they needed a better name. So they call it equitable remuneration. <laughs> I don't know, neighboring rights. It's more of a mouthful than they really It's like a mouthful. <laughs> neighboring rights is catchy. So there are rights due from any non-interactive broadcasting radio, uh, you know, terrestrial radio, satellite radio, even the live background music you hear in a bar, a restaurant, or at a live event. Um, those those non-interactive uh, listens uh, generate a license, generate a, a, a revenue, because the bars have to pay to use music. And the fitness clubs have to pay to use music. Uh, it doesn't include people like engineers and mixers. They're not, they're not considered performers. Um, there's also, as a performer, you can share in that private copying levy. I'm not sure, this doesn't generate a whole lot of money anymore because nobody's actually buying blank uh, audio recording media anyways. But yeah, since 1999, uh, any sale of blank CDs or, or anything like that um, generated a little bit of money for the, for the USB stick. I don't know if it qualifies because mm. it's not strictly a blank audio. Strictly. Well, you could put data on a CD too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of this being generated, but it's, <laughs> but it's there. Um, and so you're going to sign up with, uh, you may have heard of Actra. 
ACTRA is uh, an umbrella organization that um, it's not just about musicians. It's also about, you know, actors, you know, all kinds of performers. So ACTRA RACS is the division of ACTRA that can, um, that supports performers, royalties. MROC, another rock, but this one is with an ROC. This is uh, the Musicians' Rights Organization of Canada. Um They've been around. They've been around a little longer, I think. They've been closely partnering with uh, the union, musicians' union, for all these years. And there's another one in Quebec called Artisti, which sounds a little Italian the way I say it. Uh, so this is another one of those ones where you choose. You sign up with either M Rock or Actra Racks or Artisti. Um, so, you know, check them out for. If you're in Quebec, you want to be probably want to be looking at Artisti because they're they're dealing with Quebec legislations and and they're dealing with Quebec uh, with a, a French speaking membership. So you choose one of those and say, "I'm a performer," and and I believe it's the case that as a performer, you can um, register your own catalog. You're not you're not requiring that someone else registers you on their song registration. So you, you manage your own catalog as a performer. So, so those are the places where royalties are coming from, but it's not the only place where you want to be registered per se. Uh, you want to get your lyrics up on the net. If, if your music is streaming somewhere, you want to make sure your lyrics are up there as well. Um, for the streaming services, most of them are covered by this this app called Musics Match. That's an that's an X in the middle. Musics Match. So you can go to Musics Match uh, and sign up for you know a Musics Match for Artists account, and you can supply lyrics, and you can even synchronize it to the playback of your song, so that when we're listening on our phone and Spotify, the lyrics move the little yeah. bouncing ball. Yeah, my, my, my Alexa does that. Yeah, display yeah. the lyrics. Yeah. So that that's thanks to somebody submitting it to Music's Match, uh, Apple because Apple loves to do things differently. Uh, they don't get it from Music's Match. You have to go into your Apple Music's for Artists. Apple Music has no X there. Apple Music for Artists uh, account and put your own lyrics up there for for your songs to play back with lyrics on Apple. Uh, you could also sign up with an organization out of Toronto called Lyric Find. Um, they go a little further than just supplying lyrics to the streaming services. They can license your lyrics to show up in, in different places where it's appropriate. So, you know, if, if somebody was making, you know, online lyric books, they'd license your lyrics from Lyric Find. So again, another partner that's going to take a right that you have and they're going to manage it for you. So that, that is a royalty? That is a royalty, yeah. Okay. It's, there's not a lot of money generated in that, in that field. But some people, some people are, are you know, pushing the buttons on their own career and making things happen for their lyrics too. Um, if you're releasing your songs, you want to... We used to, we used to log into Nielsen BDS data systems and uh, and describe our song to Nielsen so that um, the airplay charts would would represent well how many times my song has been played on radio um, 
Nielsen BDS wound up uh, a couple of years ago, and now it's a company called MediaBase. It's free to do it. You go to MediaBase.com when you're going to release something that could get played on radio. And, uh, and then they have the information about how many times your song is getting played. If you wonder where, um, where charts get their information from, it's either MediaBase or... Um, you know, sales and streaming reporting comes from an, a sister company called Luminate Data. That used to be SoundScan. I'm sure SoundScan is a familiar name. So Luminate Data, same thing. You go to Luminate Data and you just, you, you use their, their Google form to say, I've released this song. And, uh, and, if you're, and if you're a growing artist and you're getting attention, then you have a chance of being on the charts and on, uh, and on, you know, sales reporting and, and streaming reports. So, uh, the other thing I didn't mention it yet, but, um, the Canadian government likes to get a copy of everything you release in archives, library archives, Canada. It used to be more meaningful to them when they could get a physical copy of your vinyl or your CD, but they still want to have a copy registered of everything that gets released. So they have a database of the arts being generated in Canada. Does that generate a royalty? No. That doesn't generate a royalty, no. That's just for... But they but they like the you to register. Good. <laughs> That's for the public good. But they like you to register that as well. They, they don't do a very good job advertising that, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. I, I didn't even know about it until I got a letter. From, when I put out my first or second CD, I got a letter from them saying, please send us a copy. And I'm like, how did they even know? <laughs> but they, they, they must collaborate with SOCAN and these other organizations somehow yeah. to get lists yeah. of top performing, whatever, or anybody, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, I guess it's a little hard when you're not offering anything in return, like a royalty. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I do this? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I don't want to take too much time on it because we're talking about registering your song, but I do want to mention since we're talking about your songs going out into the public, that you have some decisions to make when it comes to how to release your music. So for those, for those of you that haven't done it yet or, or don't fully understand the system, the, the way your song gets played on a system like Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon is you go through a distributor. So in the old days, it was the distributor who would travel the country and stock the shelves at every Sam the Record Man. So the distributor would work for the record label. They'd have their own distribution department or you know, you'd have our separate distrib distrib distribution company. That was their job, was to get it out. So now they have a thing called digital aggregators. They are the distributors of digital music. These are companies like CD Baby and TuneCore and DistroKid and Symphonic. And there are many. Um, I always, if I have a chance to talk about it, I want to make sure that I say, choose your aggregator wisely. Um, it's heartbreaking when a small aggregator goes out of business. Some people have been convinced by the mastering engineer who mastered their record. Oh, just let me take care of that for you. I'll get your stuff on, on Spotify. And they're, and they're being the aggregator. But then if they go out of business, you have no access to your music. 
You can't manage it. You can't earn from it because the aggregator is no longer there. So, you know, choose somebody who's been in business for a while and who looks like they're going to be in business for a while. I personally prefer CD Baby and, and it's, it's in part because they've been around forever. They were the first to be doing this. Um, and they're still among the biggest, but the other half of it is their pricing model. They came up with it in a very artist friendly way. They've always done it this way. You pay once to them upfront to prepare the release. And then if your release makes money, they take a tiny commission. If your release doesn't make money, they don't take any more money from you. Somewhere along the way, I think uh, TuneCore might have been the first one to do it, came up with this new model. Wouldn't it be great if you paid once a year? Yeah. So to keep the relationship with your aggregator alive, you have to retain them on an annual basis. So you pay them 50 bucks a year or something like that. And they spin it in the marketing to make it look really great. You keep 100% of your revenues. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know what percentage of indie artists are actually making enough revenue to cover 50 bucks a year to the aggregator. And if you stop paying it again, you have an orphan release out there. So somebody was brilliant when they came up with this idea because they're making money, even if the artists aren't making money. Well, that's, a, that's a subscription model for any kind of service or, or I mean, it's not, you can argue that's not even a service. Like you say, CD Baby collects up front for the initial work they have to put into it to do it. It reflects the work yes. that they're doing. Yeah. Subscription model like that, where they're, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a different thing. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have one EP on, on digital distribution and I found a service called RootNote that has two, that has two services. One is a free service where they distribute everywhere for free um, and they take 15% of your of okay. whatever they collect. Yeah. Uh, the other one is you, you pay, I, think, I couldn't remember if it was a subscription or, or upfront and then you keep 100%. Right. Um, I went for the free and because like you're right, like do I even make fifty bucks a year? No. <laughs> well, and, but but if you're an artist that is that is doing well and has a big audience and is generating revenue, you may decide it's worth it to me. This this is this is the way I'm going to go. Just just know the difference and and decide what works for you. You can release your first three albums with one aggregator, and then your next three albums with a different aggregator. You 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 could change with every release if you wanted. Uh, you're not stuck with them for life. But if you but if you do go with one of the the small ones, for instance, for your mastering engineer, and then they do go out of business, you can then still redistribute it. Again. You can distribute it again, presumably with another yes. aggregator, right? Yes, you'd have to re-release it, so you'd have to yeah. You'd uh, have know, a new release date. You'd have to and all par sorts. partner up. Well, and it's it's possible uh, you'd have to ask the aggregator. It's possible that they could um, recreate the release and maintain the history of it. It's possible. I don't, I don't think all aggregators are equal on, on that front. Um, but that's just something to keep in mind. Um, so, so the other thing that I wrote down here when I was doing my, you know, what, should, what we should talk about is a bunch of IDs that you should have handy. So when you register with different bodies, they're going to ask you for certain ways of identifying yourself and identifying your song. 
And the most common one that we hear is ISRC, an ISRC code, an International Standard Recording Code. It is a unique identifier that identifies the release of a song or a video. And uh, it's, it has, it's not identifying the song, it's identifying the, the recording. So, you know, the, you as your record, wearing your record label hat, you assign an ISRC code and there's, and there's a, a, a standard format for what that code looks like. And you, so you, you manage your codes and you come up with, well, here are the codes for each of these releases. If, if I do a radio version, uh, a remix, an album version, an extended cut, each of those is going to have a different ISRC code so that it can be identified anywhere that it gets used. And, and it's known to be, oh, it's that song. It's Neil's song. It, um, if you know the ISRC and you have to change aggregators, that would be the thing that allows you to say, well, this song that I released five years ago, I'd like you to be the aggregator for it. Can you hook up to this song? and maintain its history. And the only way they could do that is if they have the ISRC code. Because the ISRCC, like you say, is unique to that particular recording. It's unique forever. to that particular, forever, yes. It's, it's a, uh, is it a 13 or, or 15 character code? It's a long code. It begins with a few letters that, that identify you. So, so the, you know, once, uh, just at the start of your career, you go to uh, Connect Music Licensing and you say, I need a, a registrant code. I need my ISRC prefix. And they'll ask you to, you know, give all the information about who you are and, and where you live and, uh, you know, I don't know what country you're a citizen of. And they'll give you the, a registrant code, which is a few letters that you'll use for your whole career. Every ISRC that you make We'll start with that registrant code. And then uh, I believe what comes afterwards is two digits for the year. Um, there's, oh, there's, no, there's probably, the country is probably identified. And then the year, and then it's free form for the rest of it. You could, you could come up with anything for the last sort of five characters. And so you keep track of the ISRCs. You don't register them with, with a collection agency. Um, but in some cases, you're asked to, to give it so that it can be properly associated with the song. When you, when you release a song, they say, do you have an ISRC or should we provide one for you? There's no harm in having CD Baby or TuneCore or whomever assign one for you. It's still the ID for your song, but don't pay anybody for an ISRC. There are websites out there that say, we'll embed an ISRC code for five bucks or for 10 bucks and like, it's free, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and further to your other point, you know, even, even if CD Baby or whoever assigns them for you for free, you should take a copy of them, send yes. them into a Word document or something like that, just on the off chance that CD Baby blows up and you never know and you might need them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's the ISRC. There's... Sometimes you may be asked for your songs, ISWC, your International Standard Work Code. This is assigned by your PRO. So when you register with SOCAN, they're going to give your song an ISWC. Some other places that you, maybe if you're putting your song in a cue sheet for, you know, that episode of Grey's Anatomy, uh, I don't know, 
they'll ask for the codes like the ISWC. Um, one really important one when you're registering with SOCAN, because you need to know this for your co-writers, is the IPI, Interested Party Information Number. This, I know this, this, this is, this is really exciting stuff. Um, <laughs> songwriters, composers, publishers each have an IPI. You, you have an IPI that, that, is, that is just you, Neil. And Phil, you have an IPI that is just you. And if I register our three-way co-write on SOCAN and I put down the wrong IPI, then when that money comes in, some of it's just going to be sitting in a slush fund waiting to be paid out to Neil because I used the wrong IPI. Um, and again, once these things are registered, it can be hard to modify them. Because and, that, any, and that's why all collaborators need to have their own their own sign up on SOCAN. On SOCAN, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, even, even if you're not the one entering the song, you need to have that IPI so that that's right. The money goes to you. Yeah, that's right. And, and as you can imagine, if I if I called SOCAN and I said we made a mistake registering this song, uh, you know, we need to change the information. They need consent from all the collaborators. They're not just going to change it. They have, they have to ask everybody involved and wait you know, to get a hold of everybody before they can actually fix it. So that's the IPI. Um, performers in the crowd, you'll have an IPN, International Performer Number. So when you sign up to MROC, you know, they will say, oh, do you have a performer number yet? Oh, we'll give you one. Here, here's your IPN. Um, so, you know... Keep a really good spreadsheet somewhere on your computer with backups that have all, all of these codes on them. Um, there's, a, there's a more obscure one, the International Standard Name Identifier, ISNI. Uh, you don't generally need this until you're working on synchronizing your music to audiovisual. And then you're and then you're identified by that. And the last one is is UPC. You need, a, you need a UPC code for your, for your album or single release because you have a product and your product needs a barcode. That's what a UPC is. So, you know, in North America, it's a UPC. In Europe, it's a European article number in EAN. Um, your aggregator will assign a UPC and hopefully they don't, hopefully they don't charge you for it. So wow. that's... That's, that's a, the end of my list. I know that was a whole lot, a whole of, lot of stuff. But, stuff um, some, of it, some of it got we'll, a little... Yeah, kind of, we'll, we'll have to get you to send awesome. us your list and we can put it all on the web post <laughs> for this episode and links to all those organizations and all the, all the little check boxes you need to all check. All the little check boxes, yeah. yeah. So, you know, give yourself at least an afternoon to do yeah. all this registry yeah, <laughs> when, it's, when you're going to put your song out. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a wealth of information. That, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, that's just fantastic. Because yeah. you know nobody really knows this stuff, and you wouldn't even think about it. And and there are more, there are more chances to earn money than there used to be. As, as, especially when when you happen to be not just the songwriter but the performer and and the publisher and the record label and and you can still you can still register this stuff for something you released years ago yeah if, yes. you, if you didn't do the the m rock if you didn't if you only did so can you didn't do all the other ones you can still do them even if your release was a dozen years ago or something yeah that's right that's right and in fact on most of these with most of these societies you can search their catalog of unidentified uh recordings oh, right cool. 
if if you find that your song wasn't properly registered, but it but it got some airplay in Germany. Yeah, because it would have been reported, but then they didn't have they didn't they weren't able to line it up with you because you're not That's registered right. on that thing. So yeah. for so for so many years back, and it's it's not the same with every society, but they're hanging on to the money, and and they're giving you a chance to say, well, that was me. That was me. <laughs> put that in my bucket yeah yeah, yeah. so uh yeah it's never too late but uh you know the, the the right time is is once you finish with something once you finish the songwriting get it logged with SoCan, even if it's going to be five years before you go in the studio and record that song but they asked you for the length so if you haven't recorded it yet how long how, how they, do you know how long it is and and in that case you know the best you can do is is whatever the demo you've got just guess or yeah if, well yeah. You, you would have recorded a demo of this song. yeah I suppose, just yeah. just a guitar and vocal demo so you so you'd know that it's yeah three and a half four minutes long um certainly when there are new performances of your song there there is a way to go to so can and say well now you know this artist has done my song and their version is four and a half minutes long oh really okay yeah and then when you do eventually record it five years later and the length is you know, 15 seconds difference, you go in and update your... You can your go song. in and update it. It's, okay. it, you know, that's, that's probably only used as a tiebreaker if they can't figure out which song they're listening to. Hmm. I just... Uh... Uh, are, you, are you looking at the websites and burning your eyes out here, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just looked at my SoCan catalog every now and then i get like 24 bucks which is kind of fun but some of the songs i have listed which were listed a long time ago apparently they were written in 1940 oh which is surprising because i wasn't alive then so yeah maybe i I need to fix it are they sure that you wrote that well i think so are you sure that you wrote that I don't know why they have maybe that. You, you, lifted a, you mean you lifted a melody from someone from 1940 and didn't know it? Uh, yeah, yeah. That is so uh, weird. I don't even, I don't even know, because I wouldn't have put it in. Well, click click on the uh, chat button there and ask the bot if they can help you at all. <laughs> well, you the I, bot knows best. Because I can't. Rem- I mean, this was back in the 90s, so I don't remember. Yeah, I was going to say it might have been 90, not not 40, but. Uh, yeah, but I don't. Maybe, maybe back in the in the Stone Age days of the '90s, we had to submit on paper, and and your handwriting was bad. <laughs> so they, so they, I thought, I thought you wrote 1940 and not 1990. Wow, that's bizarre. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on the show to talk about sync licensing because that's, that's, yeah. yeah. that's a whole that's, other that's a whole other bucket, isn't it? That's a whole other animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I and in fact, I'm looking at my Patreon. Didn't even mention DMDS. Um, if if you've got a really hot song and you think it'll do well in radio, then how do you get it to play on radio? You hire DMDS. I forget what the acronym stands for. Um, but but they're they're the people that will help you put together a really great looking kind of press kit for your release. Okay. And send it to all the programmers across the country. As a publicist. Uh, it's it's not a publicist per se because what they do is they just make the release available to radio, but then you might hire a publicist to work the phones, or 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 in this case it'd be a radio tracker, to work the phones and call the radio programmers and say, did you see this new release from Neil? Did you see it? Uh, but 
DMDS, whoever created it was brilliant. Bril another brilliant business decision because they made it, they made it easy for radio programmers to use the system. The radio programmers get it for free. It's, it's us, you know, record labels, when we want to push our song out to radio, we pay the two bucks or whatever to send it to that radio programmer in BC. But, but the way they got everybody in the market to use DMDS was by giving it to the radio programmers for free. So is, is this like a, is this like an old, older company, like pre-internet? Oh, no, no. It's, it's within the, within the last 20 years. Okay. So terrestrial radio is still a thing, eh? Terrestrial radio, satellite radio, yeah. Yeah. So this is how they get their music. Is this how they get it from Sony? It's how they get it from Universal. It's it's all done. They'll they'll get an email that just says there's a new release, go check the MDS. And and the system is really, really quite smart. You get flashy visuals and you get to hear the song, and then if you like it, download it right to your computer and Technology. It was hokey dokey. I think are we done, Phil? <laughs> we sir are done. You're in the band. Okay, that was yeah. yeah that, that was a wealth of information. Amazing. We'll so thank you so much, Alistair. Alistair, so we can post it on our website and have, have a, at least at least that'll be a one-stop shop for everyone to. Check that'll out be a one-stop shop. shop. This is what's yeah. known as evergreen yeah. content in the content evergreen world. Content. Exactly. Except yeah, except for when the legislation changes. Well, that's that's true. Legislation. <laughs> okay, I think that is all the time we have on Song Talk Radio. Special thanks uh, to Alistair Rally. That was amazing. Um, and where can our listeners find out more about you? I'm at alistairbradley.com. Awesome. And we will put a and, link to that from our show and, post. Yeah. And I'm also at songstudio.ca. Yes, of course. Song Studio. Now, Alistair, you also um, do this for people. You, um, you have a, like a consulting business that you help I, yeah, uh, I, artists. I run a services company, yeah, tiltedwhiteshed.com. In fact, it's, it's my music services business. And basically, I, I offer help with all the things I know how to do to, to uh, complement all the things you know how to do. So if you're if you're a whiz at recording, then I can mix your record for you. But if you need help recording it, I can record your record for you. Uh, and if you need help getting your song out to Spotify, I can help you with that too. So, you know, where, wherever you feel like you have a gap, I'm hoping I can fill that gap for you. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Um, and we want to hear from you. So please uh, send us your comments on Facebook or Instagram to at songtalkradio or send us an email, feedback at songtalk.ca. Let us let us know what you learned from tonight's uh, episode. Um, if it's more than one thing, which I'm betting it is. <laughs> also be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes. And subscribe today to the Song Talk Radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Um, you can find links to all the products, books, and web services we mentioned on the show on our resources page on, on the website. We'll have a bunch of these up there, I'm sure. Um, and please join us at our next monthly Song Talk meetup. Whether you're in Toronto for our in-person meetups or anywhere in the world for our online meetups, it's free to join on meetup.com and free to attend, bring a song and a lyric sheet, and get constructive feedback from other songwriters. Stop by songtalk.ca for the link. Uh, you can follow me at neilmodi.com. You can follow Phil. PhilEmory.ca. And Alistair, you're on social media. What's your favorite social media channel? Uh, I'm on Facebook most often. 
Facebook. Yeah. Right. Kicking an old school. And uh, be sure to stop by the website, songtalk.ca, to browse past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in and keep, keep on, on writing. writing. Keep on writing. And keep on registering. Registering. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone.